Well, it's that time of year again, around Thanksgiving, where we can take time for reflection and be grateful for the things that we have. And that's why in studio with me today, I have three spiritual giants, and I just want to talk to them a little bit about what makes them happy and what they're grateful for. And uh, let's start with you, Andrew Tate. What are you thankful for? So yeah, I have, I have around 30 cars now. I, I don't sell them because I don't need money. So what's the point in selling it? Wow, 30 cars. Yeah, that's a lot to be thankful for. Wait, why don't you sell any of them? The headache of dealing with someone buying it off me is not worth the 350 <laughs> grand. Yeah, but maybe you could sell like just one of them. I mean, think about the poor kids in Africa who don't even have one Bugatti. Maybe you could sell just one? Like, I, I can't be bothered. Even telling my assistant to deal with it is too much asshole for 350 Gs. I don't give a shit. So just stay there forever until it rusts to fucking bits. Well, as long as you're happy, Andrew Tate, then I'm happy. What about you, Dan Bilzerian? What are you thankful for? Uh, that, you know, I'm just, I have a bunch of women hanging around. Uh, yeah, Dan, uh, we've noticed. So, um, <clears throat> what's the secret to it? I kind of like figured out that life is more about setup. You know, I wanted to, I wanted to like set it up so that I could get laid without like having a bunch of conversations and dates and whatnot. So. Wow, Dan, that's, um, that's really insightful. Thank you for sharing that with us. Let's move on to our last spiritual teacher, none other than Mr. Donald Trump, well, President <laughs> Donald Trump. Uh, give us some good news, President Trump. Here's the good news. I'm very rich. That is good news, but I thought you were only kind of rich. I'm really rich. And it sounds like you're bragging now, and uh, that's not really the point of this show. I'm not doing that to brag because you know what? I don't have to brag. I don't have to, believe it or not. All right, well, then I, I choose not. Welcome back to Everything Allegedly. My name is Sean, and I will be your humble host. So humble, in fact, I don't have 30 cars. <laughs> None of my cars are Bugattis. <laughs> what is up with Andrew Tate's accent? I, I don't get it. I don't understand how he has that accent. I, I would almost accuse him of having a fake accent like, uh, like Sebastian Gorka who is clearly just a person with mental problems making up an accent. But uh, there's a part in that opening clip where Andrew Tate is talking about what a hassle it would be to have his assistant sell a car, but it sounds like he's saying it would be too much of an asshole. <laughs> I don't know. I don't understand Andrew Tate's accent, but you know what? If I had to choose from any of the three people in the opening sequence there, if I had to choose from Dan Blazarian or... Donald Trump or Andrew Tate. I'm going Andrew Tate all the way. I'm not going to take moral advice from him or anything like that, but I actually think he's pretty smart, even, even if he is a fed plot or whatever they say about him. 
But anyway, <laughs> enough about that. Thank you so much for joining me. Uh, I really do appreciate everyone who listens. Thank you so much for the uh, the likes and the and the and the shares and the subscribes and all, all the good stuff that uh, you guys do. Uh, the shirts are going out soon, so all of you who emailed me, uh, you should be um, should be getting those pretty soon. And because um, I I got some of them in so far, they look great. They're the best shirts. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so so anyway, yes, thank you so much for joining me. We're going to talk about Thanksgiving today. And um, I'm always thankful for you guys. But today we're going to talk about uh, Thanksgiving, uh, being grateful, uh, what the holiday is all about. And uh, we're just going to make this, uh, it's going to be a short one, going to get in and out quick. (laughs) That's what she said. (laughs) Oh, anyway, uh, you know, I'm not much for Halloween. I don't like dressing up. You get uh, get one time, one time each year that I'm going to dress up. That's it. And, uh, well, my wife got two out of me this year. I was, I was Hagrid, but I already kind of look like Hagrid. So that was an easy one. I just wore a coat and, um, I like Christmas a lot too. I think Christmas is a, a wonderful holiday and, um, but you know, there's a lot of distraction. Christmas has, uh, it's m- much more pomp and circumstance with Christmas, but Thanksgiving, mm, Thanksgiving is that it's that perfect sweet spot for me where it's just, um, in the moment, uh, gathering with with family and it's it's like pure reflection. I think that's what the holiday is supposed to be, and that's why I love it so much. Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday. Most of all, I think it's about the food because I am definitely a fat kid at heart, and boy, do I love to eat the food. And you know, I'm never on the hook for cooking it because nobody has ever accused me of of being a great chef. So, um, so for me, it's all around the best holiday. <laughs> I don't cook and, uh, I just get to enjoy all the great times that Thanksgiving has to offer. So I'm, I'm very excited for Thanksgiving and, um, you're probably going to hear this, uh, by the way, this is going to come out, um, ooh, maybe Tuesday or Wednesday. I'm kind of messing with the upload days. So Don't worry about that, but there will still be a podcast coming out roughly every two weeks, but I'm just messing around with the, uh, the, uh, the upload days. So anyway, um, so let's talk about Thanksgiving, the U S holiday. Most of the listeners to this show are in the U S 75 to 80% of you. I would say, um, when I, when I look at those downloads, so some of you may not be familiar with, uh, with what Thanksgiving is exactly in the U.S., um, <laughs> it's like Boxing Day. <laughs> like I'm not really familiar. I thought Boxing Day had something to do with the sport, <laughs> but as it turns out, it's just like because you put stuff in boxes. So there you go. I guess we don't all know <laughs> about uh, other countries' holidays. So we'll talk a little bit about uh, Thanksgiving and uh, what it is. Now, if you listen to your uh, very, I don't know, I'll call them uh, religious right-wing sort of opinions on Thanksgiving. You might think that uh, Thanksgiving is like a story of divine providence, that the hand of God uh, guided the faithful to a new world, and um, the settlers, they dined with the natives and sang Kumbaya. That's one take. And then the sort of lefty communist. You know, I shouldn't even call them communists. They're not really, 
I'll call them authoritarians or socialists. That's a more fitting name for for the left these days. Um, you, you might hear from them that Thanksgiving is all about the evil colonizers who went on a murder spree, and um, there's nothing that we should celebrate at, at all about the holiday. And um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe they have an extra slice of tofu or whatever on their uh, on their day off from work. I'm not sure what they do with the holiday, but. Uh, Let's go through the story of American Thanksgiving, and I'll give you. Uh, I'll try and shoot right down the center with it, <laughs> and uh, see if we can come away with a little bit un- uh, better understanding of what the holiday is actually all about. Because it is complicated, you know. Just like your uh, relationship status on Facebook, it's complicated because there's a lot of history to cover. I know it's easy for us to, uh, I guess, read our elementary school textbooks and go. Yeah, okay, there was uh, Columbus, you know, he came over here, and then we had a Revolutionary War, and then a Civil War, and now we've got Chick-fil-A, and, uh, you know, it's a pretty simple story. But uh, there's a lot of lot of stuff that happens in there, and a lot of nuance to, to a lot of th- the things that make up um, this country. And uh, let's talk about the first, the very first Thanksgiving. We'll talk about that first Thanksgiving story, uh, you know, the ones with the pilgrims and the Indians. And um, that actually happened in uh, 1621. But as I mentioned, Columbus, right? Columbus in 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue, right? So we got roughly like 130 years in there. And uh, what was going on in that time? A lot of stuff was happening in that time. In the in the very early 1600s, though, was really kind of the first time that uh, North America was really trying to be settled. And you have the Jamestown Colony, and like I said, yeah, right around right around 1600, very early 1600s, you had this get set up, and this was essentially an export business. The first colonies in America were part of uh, a project that was funded by by King James, hence Jamestown. And basically, they were setting up something called the Virginia Company, where they came over here. They were trying to essentially find out what what the land had to offer and then create exports uh, from that. And so there was a bunch of voyages that came over in the very early 1600s, and they were essentially dropping off employees who um, wanted an opportunity to kind of live in a frontier. Also, I guess the money was was decent from what I can tell. One of the stories that I really liked <laughs> was at some time uh, the, uh, the Virginia company back in, um, in Europe w- was able to round up or recruit 100 women that uh, <laughs> that they recruited to uh, come over to the uh, the colonies because they uh, they wanted to uh, have the colonies expand and the men there wanted wives. So I I can't imagine how that went. They were like, "Hey, uh, you want to sail for a couple months to uh, meet some dudes that <laughs> are really hard up for wives." <laughs> It's a strange concept, isn't it? But yeah, that's what they did. Also, the captain on that ship, the the captain bringing over the hundred women, how frustrated he must have been that he had to pull the ship over right away so that they could pee as soon as they left. 
Anyway, so as you can see, there was like decades of interaction from the time that, uh, you know, the initial settlements of the of the U.S. started and um, and this 1621 Thanksgiving dinner. A lot of history in there, a lot of interactions with with natives. But now the story that we celebrate is of the pilgrims. So who are the pilgrims? Uh, they are oftentimes when you look into the subject referred to as religious radicals. But as we know, the uh, victors, you know, kind of write history. And um, so whether they were real radicals or not, it's it's hard to say. I don't think so. I think they probably just had some disagreements with the king at that time. And so that's why they get labeled radicals. Now, you know what? I'm probably considered a radical by their standards. So anyway, they didn't come from England. Uh, they were already run out of England, and the pilgrims were living in the Netherlands. And so they struck a deal with uh, the London Stock Company, who was essentially the ones who were running the Vir Virginia Company. And um, they basically entered into another for-profit venture like the ones who were already here in the New World. And they, they sailed over on a ship called the Mayflower. And when they landed in... Uh, the U.S., they were supposed to land in the Virginia Company territory, but they actually didn't land in uh, Virginia Company territory. They landed at Cape Cod, and uh, which is in Massachusetts, if you don't know, which is essentially right up the coast from where I'm at right now. And um, so it wasn't only pilgrims on the ship. There were, hmm, I don't know exactly, I think about half of the ship were, were pilgrims. And then the other half were like regular contracted men, men and boys actually. And, um, essentially when they landed in the wrong spot, when the ship, uh, landed in Cape Cod, the regular contracted men and not the pilgrims were like, we aren't where we're supposed to be. And so the contract that we signed with the company is now null and void. I'm getting off the ship. I'm going to live my life. Peace out. I'm not doing this indentured servant stuff. But then those, uh, those rebellious <laughs> radicals, the pilgrims, were like, nope, we're not going to let you do that. <laughs> and they essentially, at that point, on the ship, created the first oppressive government <laughs> in the new world. They signed something called the Mayflower Compact. And uh, the pilgrims, essentially the ones we think of as like the free men who are coming over here to escape their oppression, essentially were simping for the government and the crown at that time. And uh, they kept the other half of the ship around, those, those uh, regular, I, I believe they refer to them as strangers, in their writings and also on the Mayflower compact. And, um, so, so what they did was they just kept the others around and they kept them loyal to the King. They signed this document that said, um, they, the document even says sovereign Lord King James. And, um, essentially w by threat of violence, they told the other passengers on the ship, Nope, you are uh, still under contract. And if you break these rules that we've got here, we'll kill you. <laughs> and uh, that's because the pilgrims 
uh, amongst their ranks had military men, and uh, I guess it would be like men of status, and uh, you know the others were just were just common people. So anyway, the um, <laughs> the, uh, the 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 pilgrims enforced the the first uh, tyrannical <laughs> government, uh, which is uh, now I guess a legacy today in the U.S. And um, so you've probably heard that uh, that document was like the beginning of the of the the first civil governance, but it wasn't so much. It wasn't that civil. <laughs> the other half of the boat didn't want it at all. So anyway, uh, they got off the ship, they built settlements, and uh, they had very strict rules. Man, these pilgrims were like some rule following people, like down to their house. And how big it had to be, and how far away it had to be from the next one, and blah blah blah. They were all about rules. Everything was regulated. And um, then we get to the part of the story that starts to sound familiar to us, probably, which is they met uh, Squanto, or as he is politically correctly known today, to Squantum. And now this dude, this Indian, was captured like decades before. He was taken back to Spain. He was uh, kind of held as a slave, but also educated by some people. He learned to speak English, and uh, and and as luck would have it, he made his way back to the New World, back to North America. And so when the pilgrims show up, he is an English. He's able to speak English. He's able to speak with them, and he is the one that is able to broker a deal between the pilgrims and the uh, the Wampanoag, which is the uh, the Indians or the natives that would have been depicted in that Thanksgiving dinner. Those are the ones they had a peace treaty with. Those are the ones that the uh, pilgrims would have celebrated with, and it's happily ever after, right? Yeah, kind of. Not really. Um, because it wasn't happy for everyone. That peace uh, meal, that um, that first Thanksgiving, yeah, there was a peace treaty between the, the, the Wampanoag and the Pilgrims, but that was just one tribe. Uh, we tend to do this thing where we, we think of natives in that like noble, savage uh, sort of trope where they were all just uh, one harmonious people living amongst the land and it was all, you know, kitty cats and rainbows, but it certainly wasn't that at all. There was a bunch of tribes who were constantly warring, constantly at battle with each other. And so the reason that the uh, pilgrims were able to kind of pair up with Wampanoag was because they were making an alliance. That is kind of what you do when you are, uh, you know, at war all the time. So that's basically what was going on there. And so those those Native Americans that you see, um, you know, pictured in the first Thanksgiving, that was just one tribe. And that just happened to be the ones that got along with the pilgrims. And, um, you know, you also, if you, if you read about Thanksgiving now, you're going to see a lot about how the Native Americans were just wiped out by smallpox is kind of strange because I don't believe that viruses even exist. So I don't know what accounts for that. I don't think it was a virus. Certainly don't think it was smallpox. Had to be something else going on there. And um, I think it's a little darker than uh, just transferring a virus, which in my opinion doesn't exist. But anyway, that's how we get that first Thanksgiving story. And you know what? 
even though the details are quite a bit different than the story we get, I still like the story that we have. It's a nice story, and that's what our our lore, that's what our uh, stories are meant to do. They're meant to create a narrative for us. Now, that was just the first Thanksgiving. That was the one on 1621. But there was a guy named John Winthrop, and this dude was like the first governor of the colonies, and he actually created essentially the first Thanksgiving holiday. But the reason that first those first Thanksgivings were celebrated was not because they were making peace with the Native Americans, but because they were celebrating a battle that had been won and 700 of the natives have been killed. <laughs> and so unfortunately, the celebration in that way went on for mm, essentially the next 100 years. So when you hear people mention that uh, instead of celebrating Thanksgiving, it should be a day of mourning, that's what they're referring to. However, at about the Civil War era, Thanksgiving changed again. Abraham Lincoln uh, made it a holiday, and he did it at the request of a woman named Sarah Hale. Sarah Hale was a pretty impressive woman. She did a lot of cool stuff, and uh, she accomplished a ton of stuff despite the fact that her husband died pretty early and left her with five kids as a single woman. And uh, in that era, it was probably pretty difficult for her, her to uh, make a living, and yet she not only did that, but uh, she, she thrived, and she did very well. If you've uh, heard the song, Mary Had a Little Lamb, which I think every person in the world has, uh, she's the one that wrote that. We have her to thank for that. She also recommended that Thanksgiving be celebrated on the fourth Thursday in November. And did she choose that because she hated Native Americans so much and she was just so happy that 700 of them were killed in battle? No, that's not what she uh, wanted the holiday for. Um, in fact, if you read her letters where she is petitioning for the holiday, she is um, she's asking for it to be a national holiday because she wants to um, place it at a time where the harvest has been completed the autumn diseases have kind of come and gone, so people aren't sick anymore, you know, how that happens every year, and that the elections are over <laughs> because everyone hates elections. And so she was basically asking for a um, the holiday to be an offer of God and a, uh, a tribute of joy and uh, to have gratitude for the blessings of the year. So she wasn't asking for it to, uh, you know, to, to be a new holiday where we celebrate the slaughter of natives, not by any stretch of the imagination. But because the holiday existed before in a different sense, um, it kind of gets lumped together today. But things can change over time. Nothing says that you have to, like, continue celebrating the old thing, because now it's been changed for, you know, going on uh, 150 years now. It's It's been this new thing. And you don't have to love 
<laughs> what it started out as. There's a comedian, and I always remember this joke. He says, I like Angelina Jolie, but that doesn't mean I have to like John Voight's balls. <laughs> and it's true because, um, you know, at one time, if the story of Thanksgiving or the celebration of Thanksgiving was one that I don't resonate with today, well, it's not like I sit down at Thanksgiving and think about all the dead Indians. No, of course that's not what I do. That is not what Thanksgiving is about. I don't associate Thanksgiving with that at all. And in fact, I'm much more associated with what Sarah Hale was uh, was planning for it, and that is that I use it as an opportunity to thank God for the blessings of the year. I use it as a time for reflection and an opportunity to take special care in the thanks and gratitude that I have. So I don't have to love everything about, you know, how the, the holiday was created in order to, <coughs> excuse me, <clears throat> really benefit from what the holiday is today because I'm thankful for a lot. And so that's why the holiday is such a nice time. I'm, I'm thankful for, for um, my salvation. I'm thankful for uh, the teachings of Jesus Christ. I'm thankful for my, my wife and kids and, uh, and the rest of my family and so many blessings that uh, I could bore you with the details of. And um, we have a lot to be thankful for right now. Even though the kind of political and the news landscape is just not the best, we still can be thankful because despite everything going on, there really is a political realignment happening or a, or a misalignment, I should say. There does seem to be a quickening happening, which is in some ways good but and, and in some ways bad, but, uh, but I'm thankful for it. If you think about 9-11... How long did that take? Or even think about JFK. I think we just passed the 60-year anniversary. So that took like 60 years to really like cement the idea in the minds of people and really like people like Tucker talking about it. And then you think of 9-11. That was like 20 years. It took like 20 years for 9-11 to, to, to really, you know, hit home. Even though so many people were doing such great work on it. It's really coming into a, an awakening now. And then COVID, where three years later, it took like two years for people to go, yeah, this is nonsense. <laughs> At least a lot of them did. And, uh, and now this new war we talked about in the last two episodes, well, it's fading fast too. So that only took like two months. The polls started out at like 80% for this war. And some of the, some of the polls I've seen recently are like 30%. And, um, so that's great. That's great. That is something to be thankful for. The fact that people are wising up and not supporting violence, well, it just tickles me pink. I love it. And, you know, there, there, is, a, there is a clarity that comes from, from knowing that the news cycle is basically all fake. I don't know how else to say it. But you know what? I don't stress about the news cycle. It doesn't bother me. There's no need to stress about it because I know it's all like, fake and, and made up. And there, there is a calm that you can have by knowing that. So I'm happy and I'm thankful, but I've got practice. I've got practice in being thankful. I don't know if it, it 
comes naturally to me. I'm not a, a naturally optimistic and upbeat person, I don't think. But I am these days. And that's probably because I was trained in it, so to speak. I went through a uh, 12-step program. I've been sober almost a decade now. And part of that recovery, part of recovering from uh, drug and alcohol addiction is being grateful. It's a big part of it. Gratitude is, a, is the essential theme of, of, uh, of sustained recovery, of getting a new outlook on your life that you're able to change this chronic behavior, this addiction, and working on it or, or practicing being grateful uh, is a thing. Let me put it this way. If you focus on uh, how miserable your life will be, uh, it, it's probably going to be miserable because what your mind does is it, um, it is, uh, it's playing a question and answer session in your brain. And so if you ask your questions like, why is my life so awful? Your brain will fill in the answers. <laughs> if you say, why is my life just so horrible? Why do all these bad things happen to me all the time? Well, your brain is going to complete that question for you, and it's going to fill your head with all the reasons why your life sucks so much. However, if you flip that on its head and you ask, how did I get so lucky to be here? How did I end up with all of the blessings that I have? Your mind's going to fill in those blanks too. And so when I went through the 12-step the program of getting sober, I practiced these, these principles. I practiced gratitude. A lot of, lot, a lot of what you do is, is make lists um, about the things that you're grateful for, and it trains your brain in that gratitude. And by doing that, you can lift yourself out of the depression that was probably keeping you in that addiction state. And so it's not just it's not just me or or people in twelve uh, step programs. These principles of gratitude, of being thankful, they um, they they span kind of all the different facets of humanity. It is a uh, it's a human constant that being thankful. And living in gratitude is going to help you to live a more happy and fulfilling life. And we can even look at studies that show that this is true. I found a really cool article by uh, <laughs> Harvard Medical School. So you know it's good. You know the uh, very smart doctors and whatnot at Harvard know what they're talking about. And so in this article, it uh, brought up a couple of experiments that were uh, done, a couple of studies. One of them that uh, I like was done by a, uh, a Dr. Emmons of UC California Davis and a Dr. McCullough, not the one who got famous during COVID. This Dr. McCullough is at the University of Miami, and they essentially both performed this study that um, had the participants write a few sentences each week focusing on particular topics. And they did this with uh, a whole bunch of, of students. 
pretty big sample size. And one group wrote about things that uh, they were grateful for that had happened in that week. So they were asked to write once a week about the things that they were grateful for. Then another group was asked to write about things that irritated them or displeased them. And then a third group was asked to write about events that had affected them both ways. So you write about the the positives and the negatives. And after 10 weeks of doing this, they polled them to uh, figure out, I guess, what their attitude was about their their life and and, and happiness. And uh, the ones who were writing solely about uh, things they were grateful for, surprise, surprise, they were feeling more optimistic and felt better about their lives. So what I said earlier, your brain will tend to concentrate on the questions that you ask it and fill in the blanks or answer the questions that you're asking it. There was another uh, study that was done by a Dr. Seligman, who is a uh, psychologist at the University of Pennsylvania, and he took 411 people and compared them with uh, a control group. And what he had them do was he had them write about early childhood memories. And he had the, there was one control group that didn't do anything at all. And then the other group was asked to write and deliver a letter of gratitude to somebody in their life that they appreciated, but hadn't properly thanked. And uh, the the purpose of the letter was to thank them for their, uh, their kindness in, um, in this particular instance. And um, what do you know, the, uh, the, the people who wrote that letter of gratitude ended up having a much higher score on their overall happiness. And uh, furthermore, those, those happiness benefits seem to work for uh, more than a month in this particular study. And so that's great. There you go. And in fact, in the 12-step programs, one of the things you do uh, is you write letters to to uh, to thank people and to also apologize for uh, <laughs> the stuff you had done in the past that uh, wasn't so great. So anyway, again, a lot of crossovers. Uh, other studies found that being grateful can improve your relationships and that even if you're a manager, if you manage people, if you tell them thank you more often, you'll actually motivate your workforce to work harder. So there you go. Being grateful will actually lead to you being happier, healthier, and more productive. And so as we are maybe bombarded with the stories of how awful Thanksgiving is, I think that what we can all agree on is that maybe we don't need to celebrate necessarily the historical stories that were told about Thanksgiving, but that we can actually celebrate Thanksgiving for exactly what the name implies, that we are giving thanks. We should be giving thanks. It's good for us. It makes us happy. And so that's the way I will be celebrating. That's the way I will celebrate my Thanksgiving by thinking of all of the many blessings that I have, most of which aren't really necessary, necessarily anything that I did. These are just um, these are just lucky things, really, that happened to me. And I'm grateful for that. I'm really grateful for that. 
I didn't ask or plan to be born where I was born. Because if you live in America where we celebrate this Thanksgiving, you are among the very richest people in the world on a global scale. We have more access than just about uh, most, than the rest of the world by population. And so I'm very thankful for that. And so I'm not going to, I'm not going to beat myself up about the uh, terrible things that may have happened in the past during the founding of this country. I'm not going to celebrate the, uh, the uh, 700 Native Americans that were killed in battle. Um, that's not uh, how I think, uh, uh, celebrate my Thanksgiving. But I am thankful that the events played out. Because after all, if everything didn't happen in the way that it did, I wouldn't be here talking to you right now. It's like the fine threads or the butterfly effect. I can just be thankful that things happened the way they did to lead me to where I'm at now. And so that's what I'll do. I'm just going to be thankful. And I hope you'll take an opportunity to reflect on your year, on your life, in a way that uh, fills you with gratitude and a way that, uh, that stimulates you to be thankful. Because that's really what Thanksgiving and the holiday season is really all about. Anyway, like I said, short and sweet this week. So there you go. And um, happy Thanksgiving to you. Happy Thanksgiving to you and your family. I hope you enjoy some great food and uh, some time with your loved ones. And I've got a song. (laughs) Speaking of time with loved ones, this is a little doozy on that front. (laughs) Anyway, the song that I chose is Jingle Bells. Why did I choose Jingle Bells? Because Jingle Bells is a Thanksgiving song, <laughs> or or at least we are told now. Apparently, the dashing through the snow in a one-horse open sleigh was something that was a Thanksgiving tradition in New England. And apparently, the writer of the song wrote it to be a Thanksgiving celebration song. But then, uh, Bing Crosby, of all people, was one who he took the song and sort of mixed it in with all of his other Christmas songs, and that's why it's a Christmas song that we uh, know it as today. Now, when I said it's a doozy about being with your family, I was making a joke about Bing Crosby because the uh, seems to be he was pretty awful to his family. Now, I love Bing Crosby's Christmas album, and um, it's a it's a mainstay. It's a staple. In, uh, in my family's Christmas music listening. But uh, yeah, he wasn't good to his family. <laughs> I looked into it a little bit, and it seems like he had three sons, and uh, two of them committed suicide. <laughs> and the third one wrote a book about how horrible he was. So anyway, uh, just like John Voight's balls, we don't necessarily have to love everything that led to us having the beautiful music that Bing Crosby gave us. And uh, that's the version I'm going to play. It's my favorite version, and uh, as well as the rest of Bing Crosby's music. Good, good stuff. (laughs) So anyway, if you're still listening, if you made it to this point, um, here you go. (laughs) Here we have uh, Jingle Bells by Bing Crosby. 
And uh, we will see you next time. Have a wonderful, happy Thanksgiving with you and yours. Bye-bye. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. What fun to ride and sing in a one-horse open sleigh. Dashing through the snow in a one-horse open sleigh. O'er the fields we go, laughing all the way. Bells on bobtail ring, making spirits bright. What fun it is to ride and sing a sleighing song tonight. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Dashing through the snow In a one-horse open sleigh All the fields we go Laughing all the way Bells on bobtail ring Making spirits bright All oh, what fun to ride and sing a slaying song tonight Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh Oh, we have a lot of fun Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh. Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh.